Welcome to the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. It's Indiana. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Unbelievable! Your daily home for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Welcome to Indiana basketball. Smart takes the shot! And the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Now here's your host, Matt Dennison. It's Indiana, what I feel is the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of all of college basketball. Hello and welcome in. Monday edition of the program. IU gets a big win last night at Minnesota. Now, plenty to break down from that game. IU led by as many as, what, 22, 24 points at one juncture. Ends up being a three-point game down the stretch. IU wins by 5, 84, 79. But nonetheless, from an NCAA tournament perspective, if that's the end goal here in year one of Mike Woodson's tenure, uh, IU gets a very, very important win. And now they've got to do the same, I feel, coming up here in a few days when Rutgers comes to Assembly Hall. But IU gets a big win. The Silver Creek girls, great season, great two-year run. They got absolutely dominated on Saturday night. The South Bend, Washington team, one of the best girls basketball teams that I can ever remember watching uh, in our state. And we'll talk more about that coming up a little bit later today as well. Uh, but plenty to get to. It's it's March. March begins tomorrow uh, the IU women's uh, team begins their Big Ten tournament journey on Thursday, so you're going to get a lot of women's conference tournaments this week, including the Big Dogs, as the week goes on. And uh, we are here next week, a week from tomorrow, starts the Big Ten conference tournament. It's likely that IU may need a win in that conference tournament to secure a um, NCAA bid, depending on what happens with Rutgers specifically. And of course, we can't forget about the Purdue game. We know it's going to be tough, but uh, depending on what happens in those games. So lots of fun ahead. And uh, the first day of March, tomorrow we will celebrate the start of our high school state tournament. It'll be sectional uh, Tuesday across the state. And we've got some big ones up at Seymour that we'll be uh, bringing to you here on the Big X, starting with Bedford and Jeff at 6 o'clock, followed by Floyd Central and uh, Jennings County, the 7.30 game from Seymour. Going to be a great week of basketball, going to be a great month of basketball. Let's just take it all in, enjoy it. Uh, I'll do my best every day to bring you good guests and to talk about it, to recap it, and uh, look forward to having a lot of fun here over the next month or so as we really hit the heyday of basketball in our state and with college hoops and more. So welcome aboard. Hope you can join us uh, each weekday this month at 11 a.m. And if you can't, we remind you to check out the podcast. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. All you got to do is search for The Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. You'll find us there. And uh, again, welcome. Glad to have you with us to begin the month of March starting tomorrow on Sectional Tuesday here in our state. Let's take a look at the show lineup for today, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany, segment one, coming up here in a few moments, we'll have our headlines, a summary of the day's top IU and Southern Indiana sports news. And when we do that, we'll start by recapping the IU game from yesterday, the win at Minnesota. Uh, we'll uh, we'll break that down for you coming up here in just a few moments. We'll talk some other headlines 
from our area as well. Also, a little bit later in the hour, Monday's mean Zach Osterman of the Indy Star checks in for the latest on IU basketball. We'll uh, talk more about yesterday's game uh, and what's ahead. IU has two regular season games left, one at home against Rutgers. Rutgers is a strong team. Rutgers has been playing pretty good basketball, but so have the Hoosiers at times. Can they get the important win at home later this week? And then, of course, we know the regular season finale is going to be a tough one, but Purdue got beat. I mean, they, they're not unbeatable. Indiana beat them, in fact, earlier this year. I think a lot of times we forget that, talking about the ups and the downs <clears throat> of the season for the Hoosiers. But uh, two big ones left for IU before they get into a Big Ten Conference tournament play, and we'll talk about that with Zach coming up a little bit later in the show today. That's the show lineup. Also, uh, Chad Gilbert's out today at a meeting instead of Chad Justin Soakland, who covers Bedford North Lawrence and is going to join us for a full preview on what to expect at the Seymour sectional. He's going to join us a little bit later in the hour today as well. So we'll get you ready for Seymour on Tuesday night with two good games. I think Bedford and Jeff will be a good one. I think the Red Devils should win that. I think Floyd and Jennings County could be a good game as well, but I think Floyd will win that game. Then that'll set up Friday matchups of uh, Bedford, ta- or rather Jeffersonville taking on Seymour, which, again, Seymour is no slouch, but I think the Red Devils are going to get to the championship game, and that would put New Albany and uh, Floyd Central in that second semifinal, and I think it'll be hard for the Bulldogs to stop Floyd Central. So I'm going to go on a limb here at the start of the week, predict a Jeff and Floyd Central Championship game. We'll see how things play out at Seymour. But Justin will help us break down the bracket, talk about all the the potential games and the first-round games when he joins us a little bit later in the show today. That's the show lineup, a service of Honeybake Tam in New Albany. Don't forget to check out their dinner package deals, which are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service still available as well at Honeybake Tam in New Albany. Let's get into our headlines for the day. Uh, I mentioned I was going to start with IU. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to make sure I don't forget this. Uh, Josh Jefferson, former New Albany player, he was on the state championship team uh, when Romeo was a sophomore, played a a big role in that uh, run to the state final and obviously in the state championship game. Uh, I want to give him a little shout-out here for a moment. He's had a great college career, although he's had some different stops along the way. He played junior college. He played at Wisconsin, Green Bay. In fact, he started things uh, at the Division I ranks at Illinois State. Uh, he also now is finishing up with this last year, this COVID year, down at Middle Tennessee as a graduate transfer. But Middle Tennessee was picked to finish last in Conference USA this season. And on Saturday night, Josh Jefferson had double figures at 10 points. He's had some huge games recently. I'm talking 25-plus points uh, for the Raiders. But Middle Tennessee beat Western Kentucky handily, and they clinched the number one seed in the Conference USA East Division. So they're the regular season CUSA East Division champions. And this team was projected to finish, I think by the coaches, to finish last in conference play when they did their media day for the conference long before the start of the season. So a great year for Josh Jefferson individually, a great year for Middle Tennessee as well. Uh, they'll try later this week, next week, to win a Conference USA uh, tournament title and maybe punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. I think that will be difficult to do, but they have a chance. They're obviously in the running. They're going to be the top seed on their side of the bracket, but uh, nonetheless, what a what a a year! What a way to finish off 
a great college career for Josh Jefferson. Uh, I think he's helped himself a lot this year as far as his ability to go overseas and play, uh, make some money for a few years. And uh, so hats off to him. Always fun to see local guys do well. This year, I mean, there is no shortage of local players and even storylines this month to watch as we get into conference tournaments uh, that are doing well. And Josh Jefferson all season long has been at the top of the list. So for him to help Middle Tennessee go from a last-place projection uh, to a East Division championship is uh, really a pretty cool story. And, and Josh and uh, the Raiders, best of luck to them uh, when the Conference USA Tournament begins here later in the week. Uh, IU yesterday, 84-79 winners at Minnesota. Indiana came out uh, on fire, really, on Sunday evening. IU led 27-15 around the 10-minute mark of the half. Uh, Indiana got hot, helped close out the half, and made it much more competitive. Indiana went into the locker room with a 40-33 lead uh, at the halftime break. Xavier Johnson had 16 points in the first half as uh, IU was uh, looking really good in cruising. Then coming out of the uh, halftime break, IU increased its lead. I think they led by, what, 13 coming out of the break pretty quick and then ballooned it to uh, plus 25 or so, uh, you know, maybe halfway through the second half. And from that point forward, we saw Minnesota begin to chip and chip and chip and the shots not fall for Indiana. And, yes, some dumb turnovers and some things that IU should not have done Minnesota not only found a way back into the game to make it respectable, but they had lots of chances to make it way too close at the very end of the game. In fact, at one point it was a a three-point ball game, a three-point lead for Indiana. Xavier Johnson, 21 points in the game. 16 of those came in the first half. Eight assists, six rebounds. If you had just turned on IU the last few games and had no history or pretense on Xavier Johnson and some of his struggles this season – you would think that outside of maybe Trace Jackson Davis, maybe Race Thompson as well, but he's in that trio of the three most important players on the team. That's not always been the case, but he's had to step up to answer that call with issues and injuries at the point guard position. And he he does take some shots, I think, at times that are ill-advised, but he looks like a much different player. It looks like his shooting stroke is even, I don't know, just different. It, it looks more controlled. Um, I'm not sure if I'm describing that right. Maybe you all see it, but definitely he, he just looks like a different player. His shots look different, and he has helped IU in a major way these last two games especially. And who would have thought heading down the stretch with a couple regular season games left that you would list probably Xavier Johnson as one of the most important factors in helping get to the NCAA tournament. And again, he's had some silly stuff go on this year, uh, but he, I think from where he started the season, his first season at IU to where he's at now, a uh, completely different player, and he sure had another big game for IU yesterday. Also, in addition to Xavier Johnson, his 24 points, uh, Jordan Geronimo looked really good coming off the bench. He was four for five from the field. Uh, other players, and he had 10 points. Other players in double figures. Trace Jackson Davis, 14 points, but he was efficient. Five of seven points, uh, five of seven from the field, excuse me. Four of six from the free throw line. Trace had a total of eight rebounds, so he didn't quite get uh, to uh, double digits in the rebounding column, but 14 and eight for Trace. Also 10 points for Miller Cop as well. And I didn't realize this until I was watching the game yesterday, but Miller Cop went over 
the career 1,000-point mark yesterday uh, when you combine his points at Northwestern and Indiana. Of course, the bulk of those points, a great majority of those points came during Miller's time as a player at Northwestern. But overall, um, I think uh, Rob Finnessy looked okay in his return. It was a little surprise to see him back and ready. I you sent out an email uh, just before the game tipped that he would be available, and I'm so used to reading he's not going to be available that it kind of surprised me. I had to do a double take. But Xavier Johnson playing and continuing his hot streak is good for IU. And to see Indiana get back on a little bit of a winning streak, even though it's a couple games, I think is a really big deal uh, for this ball club as they come down to the final games of the regular season. The one big thing that stands out, and the one, and I, I know some people would say shooting, some people would draw other conclusions when I said the one big issue with this team right now, but I, I think it remains that closing games out, even when Indiana has a lead, even when Indiana's in control of the game, even when Indiana has a massive lead, a dominant lead where you think that it's over with, there's no chance of a comeback here, Indiana finds a way to allow the other team back in the game. So who knows exactly uh, you know, what exactly is going on. But nonetheless, uh, um, IU gets the win. IU is in the conversation in a great way for the NCAA tournament. Uh, two games left. Rutgers at home is going to be tough. Rutgers at home is a game IU has to win. And I think we'll talk more with Zach about this coming up in a bit. But if IU can beat Rutgers at home and then IU loses at Purdue, which I think is the expectation. I mean, it's you never know. But uh, if they could win one in the Big Ten tournament, <clears throat> that might <clears throat> excuse me help them get where they need to be as far as NCAA tournament eligibility goes. So uh, we'll see. But a big one coming up, there is no question about it. The Rutgers game uh, is going to be so big for this team. And uh, Rutgers has had a great year in the conference. Rutgers has had some really big wins at home and on the road in the conference. And uh, Wednesday night in Bloomington is going to be maybe the biggest home game of the season from a must-win game, a needed win on the NCAA resume when Rutgers and IU tip off at 7 o'clock. That's a look at our headlines for this Monday edition of the program. Stay with us. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star will join next. We'll dig into the IU game yesterday more and start to preview the IU-Rutgers game coming up on Wednesday night and Still ahead, Justin Soaklin, who covers Bedford North Lawrence for WBIW in Bloomington. He's going to stop by for a preview of the Seymour sectional. Two big ones on Tuesday, likely two big ones on Friday as well, all involving local teams. And I think there's a great chance on Saturday night in Seymour we have not just one but two local teams from our 4A opportunities playing off in the championship game. So we'll talk about all that more with Justin when he is with us. And a reminder, the Thornton's text line is open, 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. You can send in your questions and comments on the Hoosiers and on uh, high school basketball postseason that begins this week. Uh, Whatever you want to sound off on, ask, you can, 502-414-1450. Back with segment number two after this on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison 
Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. I'll handle this the way I want to handle it now that I'm here. You it up to begin with. Now just sit there or leave. I don't give a what you do. Now, back to the game. Here's Matt Dennison. We're back on this Monday program. Don't forget the Thornton's text line is open at 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. Thornton's is the perfect stop for all the best pick-me-up items you need to get your day started, like their fresh coffee and delicious donuts. And joining us right now, Zach Osterman of the Indy Star to recap IU's 84-79 win over Minnesota on the road on Sunday afternoon and uh, talk about what's ahead for this IU team as well. Zach, a uh, interesting game. IU played well for a great portion of the game, but closing games out, even games where IU has a not just a, a narrow edge or advantage, but a big 20-plus point advantage seems to continue to be difficult for this team. Yeah, I think <clears throat> when we talk about um, close, learning how to win, yeah, I think that's a phrase that Mike Woodson's used a lot this season. It's a phrase I know the media, at least I've used a lot this season. When we talk about that, um, I think we tend to, you know, the the, the connotation or the, the the inference is games like Wisconsin or Ohio State. It, it's one or two possessions, you know, a minute to go. You know, can you get the key bucket or the free throws or the stop or whatever it is? I mean, there is a lot about last night that, that is very much learning how to win if you're Indiana. Um, you know, and, and listen, the first thing I will say is at this time of year, wins are the ultimate currency. Everything else is secondary. And yes, your margin of victory can help you in some metrics, including the net, it seems like anyway. Um, but like the fact that Indiana won needs to be the starting point for this whole discussion. Indiana won the game. They avoided, you know, a, a quad three loss. They were frankly pretty dominant in long stretches against Minnesota um, before obviously things just, just kind of unraveled on them in about the last eight minutes or so. But that being said, if you're Mike Woodson, you know, and, and you're talking about, I don't know if you may be having this conversation today, but I think you probably have it at some point with your team, maybe after the season or whatever. You say, you know, Parker Stewart had to play 35 minutes Sunday night. Miller Cobb had to play 32. Race Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis, Xavier Johnson all had to play 31. On a night when the bench wasn't very deep. Only seven players played double-figure minutes. Uh, Rob Finnessy had nine. You know, so he was, I think he was, I think he was actually maybe closer to 10. But one way or the other, you're basically playing with an eight-man rotation there. Um, if Indiana handles you know, the, the segment of the game from maybe the under eight timeout to the under four timeout better than it did and give some credit to Minnesota. I mean, there were some high difficulty shots that they were making and things like that, but if Indiana handled that media timeout segment better, then those numbers are probably more like 26, 27, 28 minutes played. And at a time of the year where everybody's got some wear and tear, everybody's tired, the reality is you can only do so much recovery between games this deep into the season. <clears throat> that can make a difference. And you got a big one Wednesday night against Rutgers. You got a really big one. I mean, 
quite possibly an NCAA tournament playing game in my mind. Um, and you, you're going to get to do it at home in front of your own crowd and it's senior night and all that. But you'd also maybe it, it might not have hurt to have done it with a few less minutes in the legs from Minnesota. Um, now, again, Indiana won the game. And if we want to talk about learning how to win, you know, I think they went something like nine of 13 at the free throw line in the last two minutes. And it, it was the guys you wanted doing that. It was your starting point guard. It was your, your all American, you know, forward center, however you want to classify Trace Jackson Davis. Um, so there is an element there too, of again, sort of learning how to win. And if you look at Minnesota, you know, they only lost to Wisconsin by a point at home uh, the, in the game before Indiana, you know, they held Ohio state fairly close at home. They beat Rutgers at home. Um, the, the point I'm trying to make is they've been tough at home this season and they do shoot the three really well. But I think that they're, you know, when we talk about the growth of this team, I think a night like last night where it's sort of like you give yourself a 27 point cushion, learning how to win isn't just about, you know, making the key plays or the big free throws or the key stop or whatever. Like I said, it's, sometimes it's also saying, okay, we built this, this dominant, you know, sort of advantage for ourselves. We are going to keep this cushion and ride it smoothly to the end of the game and not have to exert undue energy or endure undue stress. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis star, my guest. Zach, uh, I want to talk about Xavier Johnson and a few other things from yesterday, but while we're on the topic of Wednesday night, and I think you termed it well, maybe an NCAA play-in game uh, for IU in Assembly Hall on Wednesday night when Rutgers comes to town. But question from the Thornton's text line. Texter says, does IU need a win in the Big Ten tournament to guarantee a NCAA bid? Take us through win or lose Wednesday, win or lose against Purdue, what you think IU has to do from this point forward to get into the tournament. I mean, I think the first thing to say is, obviously, I don't think anyone really expects them to win at Purdue. If they do, that, I think they're in. You know, I mean, that, that would be such a valuable win um, for all the obvious reasons, for all the attendant reasons. If, if they found a way to win at Purdue in the last day of the season, or the last day of their regular season anyway, um, I think that would, that would put them over the top, regardless of what happened against Rutgers, regardless of what happened in Indianapolis, just because that would be such a, I mean, a sweep of Purdue would be so valuable for Indiana. Uh, moving the Big Ten tournament to one side for a second, I do. I actually kind of think this Rutgers game is, is a, not necessarily that the loser can't make the tournament, but I think the loser, I think it would be very difficult for the loser to lose this game and then if it's Indiana, also lose the Purdue game and not be going to Indianapolis with a decent amount of work to do, like maybe need to, need a couple wins in Indy to get into the tournament. Rutgers, if they lose this game, they host Penn State in the last day of the season. That game means nothing to them. And I think they, you know, from an NCAA tournament perspective, unless they lose it, obviously. And so I think Rutgers would go to Indianapolis needing at least one win, maybe more. Rutgers and Indiana kind of have the, it is hard to compare because Rutgers and Indiana have two weirdly different resumes. Like Rutgers has, I think five quad one wins. Indiana's got three and that's, very narrowly because Notre Dame has snuck into the top 50 in the net. If Indiana fans want to know, I said this last night in a, a Twitter spaces thing, Dustin and I did. If Indiana fans are looking for rooting interest in these next two weeks, Purdue's going to hold up Ohio state and Notre Dame. Like you want to, however antithetical it may be to your beliefs as an IU fan, you need IU, you need Ohio state and Notre Dame to have a 
very good conference tournament we can hold up for you. But, um, you know, if, if you look at Rutgers, I mean, they've beaten Purdue, they've beaten Iowa, they had that stretch where they beat Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Illinois, and uh, all in, in a four-game stretch. But then they've got some really bad losses, too. They've lost to Minnesota. Um, early in the season, they lost to UMass, to Lafayette, to DePaul. They lost to Lafayette at home. And you could shrug off maybe one of those. And all those happened in November. You could maybe shrug off one of those as, ah, that was early in the season, still wasn't a complete team, whatever. All three of them is a real ankle weight. Whereas Indiana doesn't have as many quad one and two wins, but Indiana has no quad three or four losses. And, and has been you know, pretty consistently competitive. They, you know, they kind of flirted with it a little bit against St. John's, obviously, but then the flip side is they almost won at Syracuse. They had, you know, the ugly collapse at Wisconsin, but they, they also beat Ohio State convincingly at home. It's two kind of different resumes, but basically I think what's most important is both teams are in the same general area of the bubble. This is quite possibly – we'll see how the big 10 tournament matchups shake out. This is quite possibly the only time these teams will play this year. If you're Indiana in this example, you want the committee to have, you know, firm confirming evidence that says the one time Indiana and Rutgers played Indiana one. So Indiana, it doesn't mean that Indiana is just ahead of Rutgers forever and I, but it is an advantage. It's a pretty substantial one. And I think if Indiana wins this game personally, I, I think they're in and, that's because I don't think anything terribly bad can happen to them in Indianapolis. Um, you know, Indiana right now is likely to finish 10 and 10 in the conference. If they beat Rutgers again, I'm assuming they won't beat Purdue. That would leave them at worst in the eight, nine game, which could be Rutgers. I guess it could possibly be Iowa. Um, it could be Michigan. Uh, I think it could even technically be Michigan State, but I haven't seen what everybody's remaining schedules are. But the point is, you're not going to be in a situation where you can pick up a quad four, a quad three, or a quad four loss. I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't, you know, bet, I wouldn't bet my mortgage on it. But I think if Indiana wins this game on Wednesday, they're in. If they don't, and then we presume that they lose to Purdue, I think they've got to win at least a couple in Indianapolis, and obviously that becomes a, a taller order. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis Star, my guest. Zach, your story from yesterday, um, and the headline was good as well, Xavier Johnson may best represent IU's up-and-down season. Uh, I was thinking the same thing watching the game unfold when it looked like IU was going to hold on there at the end and win. Uh, He's had a topsy-turvy year, but that represents IU not just this season, but now for a number of years. And it's just interesting to see a newcomer, a new face, uh, that had so many shaky moments early on uh, here in these last few games when I used needed him the most, uh, step up and, and do what he's been able to do. He's played great basketball, specifically these last two games. And I think if you look at his whole body of work, who he is as a player from early in the season until now, he's much different on this team. Well, and I think, I mean, first of all, I agree with you. I think he's improved a lot this season. Um you know, in a, in a, a broad brush sort of way, I think this is probably a reminder to Indiana because point guard play has been an issue for Indiana in the last, what, you know, three, four, five years. Some of these performances are, are, are reminders of, of what a good point guard can do for a team. And if you look at win or lose, I mean, some of Xavier Johnson's best performances have been some of Indiana's. You know, he was, um, he was good against, he wasn't great, but he was good against Notre Dame. He was very good against Minnesota both times they played them. 
very good against Maryland both times they played them very good in the Purdue game, you know, kind of gotten, I think kind of got forgotten in that Purdue game because um, Rob Finnessy made the shots late and Finnessy was Indiana's leading scorer, but Saber Johnson has 18 points, four rebounds, two assists, no turnovers in that game. Um, he was outstanding against Penn State. He was even, I mean, you know, he wasn't hyper-efficient from the field. He was three of 12, but he hit 10 free throws. And, and he had the, that weird run where he had five turnovers in like the first eight minutes of the game at Ohio State. And then he didn't turn the ball over again until that technical foul in overtime, which is technically counted as a turnover. So he had a run there of, of about like 35 game minutes where he didn't commit a turnover and was, a, 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 I would say, a substantial part of the reason why Indiana came back in that game. Um, he will always be a little bit up and down. I, I, I think that there's, I mean, the, the word I have found myself using over and over again to describe him as mercurial. There's, there's an element to his game that's always going to come and go a little bit. Um, but I think that Indiana has gotten more out of him. You know, I, I did the, the numbers last night. In his last 10 games, he's averaging 14.9 points, I think 3.8 rebounds and 5.2 assists. So, you know, his... All of his numbers are up, and, and if you look at, I think those, some of those numbers are even a little bit better since he, the one-game suspension against Northwestern. Um, he's played five games since then, and I think, like I said, I think the numbers are even a little bit better since then. Indiana is getting something that is probably approximate to his best basketball right now, and as much as you can talk about wanting to have a, an All-American in the middle and you know how good Race Thompson has been, and he's been fantastic, um, the guy who we've said this many times raises the ceiling for this Indiana team the most is Xavier Johnson. And um, we have seen that in wins. We've even seen it in some close losses. And if, if, if this continues, I mean, he's now scored in double figures in seven of his last 10 games. Um, only twice in that span has he posted fewer than four turnovers, or excuse me, fewer than four assists in a game. He's shooting the ball better from three. You know, his last two games, he's seven of nine. In his last five games, I'll just do the math very quickly in my head here. I think he's nine of 20 from three. So it's not prolific, but it's becoming so so often. How, how often in the last three, four years, even some this season, have we seen defenses willing to let, you know, the point guard basically play drop coverage. And when Indiana runs that high ball screen, willing to give the point guard the three-pointer, I don't know how much more teams can do that with Xavier Johnson, the way he's shooting the ball right now. There's tangibles, there's intangibles, but the, 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 the ultimate sort of summation is the same. He's playing a lot better, and it is reflecting in, obviously, Indiana having won these last two games. All right, Zach, uh, you mentioned the Big Ten Conference heading into the, to the tournament coming up here, what, a week from tomorrow, I guess, things get underway on the men's side in Indianapolis. Looking at the rest of the, the Big Ten schedule, we know Indiana has Rutgers and then Purdue. Rutgers at home, Purdue on the road. But you want to talk about a big Big Ten conference game to help define things the rest of the way. Purdue and um, I just lost it here. P- Purdue and Wisconsin play Tuesday night. Uh, that is a huge game as far as the conference goes. And, you know, I've even seen, I think it was Jeff Goodman earlier today suggested that maybe if the tournament, the NCAA tournament started today, that Wisconsin should receive, uh, you know, consideration for a number one seed. What's your thoughts on the conference race and also maybe Wisconsin as a one seed? Anyone else uh, th- at the top of the Big Ten, where do you think they could place as far as seeds go for the NCAA tournament? 
I think the other one that for me would be, and, and I'm pulling up Bracket Matrix while we talk just to know kind of where everybody sat as of yesterday. I think Bracket Matrix has Purdue as a two. It has Wisconsin as a three. It has Illinois as a four. I think Purdue and, uh, Purdue and Wisconsin are probably the two that for me, um, you know, I could find time or I could find a case if they make a deep run in Indianapolis. I think um, first it probably starts with one of them winning the league. But if either of those teams makes a deep run in Indianapolis, I think, and maybe wins a Big Ten tournament, I think you could very much see one of those two, at least in my mind, as, as one seed. Um, Illinois is a little bit harder. I mean, listen, Illinois is absolutely in the Big Ten title mix. You know, they had a couple tough losses earlier in the season. They just, I think maybe there's not quite the same amount of quality. I think their best non-conference win is, uh, is Notre Dame, which, like, that's Indiana's best non-conference win, but we're not talking about Indiana as number one seed. So um, I think it's it's probably those two are the, guy, are the teams that, that, in my mind, would be most deserving of a one seed. I do think it would still maybe be a little bit hard for Wisconsin to get up there, fair or not. And, and you know, Wisconsin kind of has – Wisconsin's also kind of got a little bit of a – you know, remember they, they weren't great in Maui, or they, excuse me, they weren't great before Maui. They lost to Providence. Then they win the Maui Invitational, but they've also got some close losses back there at the beginning of the season. You know, I mean, I think they only won by four at Georgia Tech. That's not a particularly, uh, not a particularly impressive one. One way or on another, I think that probably the most likely one seed out of the conference is Purdue. I wouldn't be surprised if the conference didn't get a one seed, just kind of looking at all this, but I, for me, it would either be Purdue or Wisconsin. All right, Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis Star, my guest. Zach, one other topic I wanted to bring up today. Uh, I know a lot of IU fans have been playing uh, very close attention to former IU player Mo Creek, uh, Maurice Creek, who is in the Ukraine. He's been there playing professional basketball in that country, and there's been an effort to raise some money from an organization that is helping American citizens uh, get back home that are in Ukraine. And I know from what I could tell based on his tweets that he had an opportunity to get out of the country on Saturday, but then I think the air raid sirens went off and he had to bunker down once again. Uh, But I think that as of this morning, he was on his way out of the country and to an airport somewhere. Uh, Any update on that? And it's, it's been obviously the Ukraine deal is, is heartbreaking to watch the footage that we see here on our news channels in America, just a sad, sad, and a very concerning situation overall. But when there's some sort of connection uh, personally, and for most people they're not going to know someone from that country, but through a sports team they follow, obviously the connection seems close. Uh, it, it appears he's on his way or maybe in route out of there. Yeah, I think there was a tweet today. I, I don't think anybody's flying out of Ukraine right now. I think pretty much Ukrainian airspace is, is, is dead just because nobody wants to. Well, wasn't it uh, wasn't it to get him out of the country so he could fly home from, I don't know if it was Poland, yeah, think, Poland or think, somewhere else? I think, I, think I, I don't remember which country. I'm looking for it on Twitter while we talk. I think it might be Romania that he's aiming to get okay. to. But it, it sounds like it, it, basically what's been suggested on Twitter and, and Creek himself has seem to sort of confirm this is he's in a car headed for the border. Um, and I think that the big thing right now is just, is just getting out of the Ukraine and, you know, you can figure out from there where you're going to fly home from, or do you need to get somewhere else deeper into Europe or whatever it is, sort of central Europe. But um, no, I mean, it's, 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 
it's obviously been, I think, a, a, a scary situation. I know some of his former teammates have been, um, you know, watching kind of worriedly just as, as he tried to get out. And um, I think, as, as you said, he had a couple sort of abortive attempts to to leave the country, but it's not easy to move around, unfortunately, with everything that's going on there. Um, but it, it does seem like, again, even by his own sort of confirmation, it does seem like there's a chance that he's he's going to, in the next day or so, um, be out of out of the Ukraine. Which, obviously, as you said, you know, without wanting to comment too deeply on things that, by which I'm no means an expert on, um, uh, you know, it, it is just very sad, very, very difficult to see and hear and read a lot of what's coming out of Ukraine right now. Um, but if you're an IU fan, I think this is at very least sort of a, you know, a, a, a rare sort of thing to feel good about through all that. If, if Creek Kennedy get out, I think he's been playing in Europe for a while now. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously a player that I think Indiana fans have a lot of fondness for, even as his career was sort of plagued by injuries. So, um, you know, from from an IU fan's perspective, I, I think everybody's still watching and praying and, and crossing fingers that at some point here in the next, you know, day or two, there will be some sort of confirmation that he has gotten out and, and that it is going to be possible for him to get out. Yeah, most definitely. Zach Osterman, the Indy Star. You can read his coverage at IndyStar.com slash sports. He's the IU beat writer for the Star, the IU insider for the Star. And he joins us Mondays on the show. Zach, thanks for helping us get March. Well, I guess tomorrow is March, but thanks for helping us get the basketball crazy month of March underway here on this Monday, and we'll talk with you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. And we'll head to a commercial break when we come back. Final segment of the hour, Justin Soaklin of WBIW joins a full preview of the 4A Seymour sectional. We'll take a look at Tuesday night's games and take you through the week. I think it'll be just a great uh, setup for the whole bracket, really, from start to finish. Stay with us. This is a Monday edition of the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach, who got us here. Here's Matt Dennison. It must be time for postseason hoops because Justin Soakland, who writes for the WBIW.com website, is with us. And Justin, you always come on when there's a big game coming up, it seems. And I know you're excited as well about Tuesday night's uh, opening round games in Seymour. Jeff Bedford, a rematch from just really a couple weeks ago when Jeff won on a last-second shot from Will Loving's Watts, followed by Floyd Central Jennings County in Game 2 on Tuesday, and that game went to overtime in the regular season. So I think things in Seymour are going to get started, started out in exciting fashion. Uh, I think those will be two outstanding ball games. Uh, the BNL, as you said, the BNL-Jeff game uh, went down to the wire. Uh, BNL had a 12-point lead in the third quarter. Jeff came back uh, and then won it at the buzzer uh, with Will Loving's Watts uh, hitting the shot in the lane. And uh, so that could, anything could happen there. And, and the Floyd-Jennings uh, County game should be a shootout between really – Two key, the two teams with the best records. 
So anything can happen in those two games. It'll be kind of like last year, if you remember the semifinal games uh, last year, uh, where uh, BNL beat New Albany on a last-second shot, and uh, Floyd uh, went to triple overtime, or Jeff went to triple overtime with Floyd. So it, it should be, again, a really outstanding first night. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that we'll be able to top that that Friday night at Seymour a year ago with the triple overtime and the last-second Bedford shot was just an amazing night of basketball, but we've got some good matchups. I want to go back to the Jeff Bedford uh, matchup here on Tuesday night. The regular season version, we mentioned it came down to the wire. Bedford 11-11, and their record as they finish up regular season play. Jeffersonville, on the other hand, they did not get all their games in this year. The Red Devils have won uh, just seven games this season. In fact, their final record 7-11 and heading into Seymour. It's a Jeff team that I'm not even sure – Two weeks ago when they played Bedford is the same team they were then. I think they're better. Not sure they're anywhere near what we thought Jeff could be or would be this season. But because this Jeff team has had so many injuries and suspensions and pauses because of COVID and just different things, I'm not sure that anyone fully grasped what this Jeff team could be capable of doing uh, as they get a few more games under their belt if they're able to make it to Saturday night. And I and I don't think Jeffersonville even grasps what they're <laughs> capable of doing. To be honest, because he's uh, Coach Grants has not had his full team together basically the entire year. I mean, you start off with uh, with Loving's Watts missing five games. Uh, then you had the COVID issues with with the team and with the coaching staff. Uh, Kobe Stoudemire got hurt, and so they have just recently got back to full strength. It reminds me of last year. Last year, uh, about the middle of the year, everybody had written Jeffersonville off because they were struggling. Uh, then they caught fire late, won nine games in a row, won the sectional. And as and it kind of reminds me of that because you could make an argument that Jeffersonville has the most athletic talent of anybody in in of the six teams, and so if they get hot at the right time, they could be really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Bedford North Lawrence is, is a little bit of a little bit of a, of a strange team to figure out because of the way they play. They can be competitive with anybody, as they've proven several different times with with good teams. Uh, they struggle to score, but they can defend you. So it, it, it probably lends itself to another low-scoring game with Jeffersonville if BNL can dictate the tempo as it did the first time. All right, Justin, let's talk a little bit more about Floyd Central and Jennings County. I'm operating under the understanding that Caleb Washington will be back this week with the Highlanders. Remember, he was out when Floyd lost to Bloomington North and Brownstown uh, at the near close of the regular season. But this game in regular season went to overtime. You're much more familiar with Jennings County than what I am. I've only seen the Panthers one time in person this season. 14-8, and eight, the regular season record of Jennings County. And I think of everybody in the sectional, yes, Floyd and Jennings have the best records in the sectional, but that aside, of all the other teams beside Floyd, Jennings County has the height and length to best match up with the Highlanders on the defensive side of the floor. Yes, they do. I mean, Floyd's like a college team. I mean, we, when we saw them in person this season, we were uh, several of us here were really impressed. They have a seven-foot center. They've got Caleb Washington at six-five, who, uh, according to uh, Coach Sturgeon, when I uh, spoke with him uh, by text on Sunday, is expected to play because I think he played against Columbus East in the last regular season game. So, you know, they lost two games without him. But, but if you take your leading score out of any team, you're going to struggle a little bit. So, I expect them to be at full strength. Jennings County is the most explosive offensive team in, in among the six teams. They scored 101 against Madison. They scored 91 against Jeffersonville. Uh, they can go off on you because they shoot so many three-pointers. Yes, they have the big kid, but they'll, they'll shoot 25 threes a game, and if they're hot, they, they are hard to handle. Uh, so th- from that standpoint, uh, Floyd expects a tough game from them because you just never know what they're going to do from the perimeter. 
if there's one team that I'm scared of, Matt, it's not it's not any of them that we've mentioned so far. It would be Seymour. I think they're the most dangerous team because of their draw, because they're playing at home, because they've won four games in a row, uh, because they will defend you to the death. Uh, Kirk does a great job over there, and that's the team. I would, if I was any team in the sectional, that's the one team I don't want to play. I think that's a great point. You know, I'm so used to looking at the tournament pairings when they come out from the perspective of New Albany, Jeff, and Floyd, our local teams. But Seymour at home, they get the bye, they stay away from Floyd Central. The Owls 15-6. and six. It's been an unbelievable season for them. And I've not been to a game at Seymour this year, but I'm told that Seymour's had, not packing the house at Big Lloyd E. Scott Gymnasium, but they're getting a good following and people are really into the games, which is something that had kind of dissipated in recent years. So I think you bring up a good point. Seymour, a big sleeper, and for whoever wins the Jeff BNL game on Tuesday night, that will be a big challenge for whoever comes out of that Tuesday night game. Well, yes, and they've already Seymour already beat both of those teams during the regular season. Uh, you know, and now coaches will tell you, "Hey, we're starting zero and zero, and I and I understand that, I get that. But uh, if you look at what happened this year, Seymour has already beaten both of those teams uh, and and did it in convincing fashion. So I, that's again, that's the team because of their draw and playing at home. And you know, they've only they've already beaten those two teams, and then you know, if they get to a final, then it's probably either going to be Floyd or Jennings, more than likely. So, you know, you just got to play one really good game. So if, of all the teams, the, the, when the draw came out, that's the one I, sit, I pointed to and said, watch out for them because they're dangerous. All right, Justin, I'm curious. I've heard some complaints down this way from fans that, oh, surely not. <laughs> that, that are concerned or not happy about the digital ticketing. I think to go to Seymour, <laughs> you've got to have a GoFan.com ticket. It's a pretty easy process to get on and buy, but there is a service charge that bumps the fee up just a little bit that goes to the ticketing platform there, the GoFan platform. But have you heard that in Bedford or up your way? And what are your thoughts on digital ticketing? Is it just something that's going to be the wave of the future? Uh, Well, uh, yes, I have heard a few mumblings about that uh, because people are so used to just walking up to the gate. And especially at an 8,000 seat arena where you know there's going to be tickets available and, and purchase your tickets. Uh, I do think it's the wave of the future. And the reason being because it saves school administrators a lot of time and, and some money where they don't have to pay somebody, you know, to, to sit there and take money at the gate. Uh, so from that standpoint, you're, you know, you, you may be looking at the wave of the future. Now, all, some of that is also, you know, I hate to bring up this stupid word for the last two years, but it's, some of it's COVID related, of course. And hopefully we're getting about to the point of getting past all that. Uh, but, but that being said, it, it is possible that it is the wave of the future because everybody, and I hate to age myself, but everybody younger than me does everything with their phones. And so it's, 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 I, hate, I hate to point fingers that it's probably the older generation that's complaining about this the most. Young people, you know, 40 and, and, and below, don't worry about it too much anymore. Everything's done with their phone anyway. Yeah. So uh, that, that's where we're, we're headed. I, I, I hate to say it. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. I see both sides. But uh, for the older fan base that has went to so many games and with uh, t- attendance wavering at times these days because of COVID or just so many other things to do, you, you want to see those people be able to get in uh, and enjoy something that they've enjoyed for years. So it'll be curious to see if this sticks around as we hopefully move past COVID. Who knows? We've thought that before. But Justin Soakland, you can read his work. In fact, he's got a good preview of Tuesday night's uh, Bedford-Jeffersonville game at the WBIW.com website. I'll see you this week in Seymour and look forward to some great basketball. 
Well, I'm looking forward to it, and they have the best hospitality room in the state, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Justin Soakland with us today to help get us ready for sectionals coming up tomorrow across the state. We'll be back with you Tuesday at 11 a.m. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.